I think I'm going to tell you about a way I experience uh, being gone from home, and I think it's pretty reflective of other people. So I don't want to say everybody's like this, but I think people are like this. When I've been deployed, and it doesn't matter for how long I've been away from home, I've been deployed for 17 days or 45 days or two months or three months or four months or however long it is, when I'm deployed, as the deployment comes time to the end, of the journey, an amazing amount of drama shows up. Like the very last chapter of the trip, it doesn't matter whether you're there for 17 days or for four months. I've never been gone for a year. I expect it's the truth. At the last time, as as the season starts to change, it is a very emotional time uh, because you're now allowed to start thinking about going home. When you're gone, gone, you don't think about going home. You don't, you're in a different gear. But at the end of the journey, as uh, things start to happen that allow you to think about going home, uh, your replacements show up. Oh, that's such a good feeling. And, and you begin to imagine going home. And on the other end of the earth, somebody else is imagining you coming home, and, and there's this exchange that begins to drum up the drama. And it's never good. Because in the military, it is always worst case scenario. So you'll hear a rumor will fall, like, we're, they got airlift, and our replacements are here, and we heard that we'll be leaving on Tuesday. Right? That's, what, that's the rumor which you embrace wholeheartedly, an email to everybody. Or is already emailed to you, or whatever. But on the other side of the world, somebody else receives this rumor wholeheartedly and invests all their hope in it. And the reality is that you're leaving the Tuesday after the next month's Tuesday, three months from now, is how it ends up being. And so we've always said, the last week of every deployment we have, my wife hates the Air Force. She hates the Air Force for that last, doesn't matter how long you're gone, it's that last, that last moment where there's just a, just a tremendous amount of expectation that invariably gets dashed against the rocks. Like when I was, my last time that uh, I was deployed was, uh, we were in Iraq and that season came, the, the first, the Advon, the advanced team started to show up from Baltimore, and so we got excited, and the rumor was, or the, the word was, we were all going to go home together, all 10 jets, we were going to fly home, come up initial at Willow Grove, it was going to be the way to end, because it was supposed to be our last operational deployment of the history, uh, the 80-some year history of the squadron. We were all going to go home together. And I had finagled myself to be in an airplane to fly it back over the ocean because I wanted my youngest children to see me flying uh, at least once in their life. And so that was the thought, and, and we were all excited. Next thing you know, only half of the airplanes are going to be able to get out right away. And I wasn't part of that half. But everybody... Everybody had to leave for the next unit to come in, but only half of the airplanes could go. So I went from, we're all going home to me and four other guys left in the desert 
while everyone else, hundreds of people, climbed on airplanes with bags. And next thing I know, I'm getting emails from Sicily saying they're having the time of their life. And they're, it's great. And woo, freedom. And there I am in this dust bowl. It felt just godforsaken wadi in the middle of western Iraq. And our morale went so low. And then they told us, yeah, we got a tanker to get you out, an airborne tanker. They'll, it'll pick you up, and you'll be able to get out in, in a few days. And a few days went by, and it was actually, I don't know if you were ever going to leave this place, was what we were told. You may die in Iraq. <laughs> it's difficult in those times not to get angry at the Lord, not to get angry at everything, right? There's all this expectation that we have that what we know is supposed to happen is going to happen. And when we find out it doesn't happen in the time, in the timing that we had planned, it can be difficult. And I think, I think this morning, I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that Joseph has a similar experience in the text. If you look down at the 40th chapter, And it was read for us, so I'm not going to read through it. But what you see here in the chapter 40 is that Joseph, by this point, and by this point, by the way, it's difficult to do accurate math, but he's probably been gone from home for about 10 years. And he's not angry at the Lord. It's worth noting that. That he's not upset at the Lord. In fact... By the time we're at this place in the story of Joseph, if anything, I would say he has a deepening or deep relationship with the Lord. He's not angry at the Lord. He's got a deep relationship with the Lord. In fact, think of it this way. In the 37th chapter, when this story started, we had a punk kid who had a dream. That was the relationship between God and Joseph. God brought this 17-year-old boy a dream. And, the, and he didn't even know exactly how to handle the dream. He kind of lorded it over his brothers. We, I mean, it feels that way in the text. He, he didn't really know how to embrace the dream. That, that was the Joseph of like chapter 1 of the story. But then we, we, he ends up in Egypt, and the next thing we know, we have this recurring phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. And obviously, throughout that whole theme of the Lord being with Joseph as he served under Potiphar, there's a sense that, Joseph began to know the Lord. So it's no longer simply God doing something for Joseph. It's God living in the life of Joseph and Joseph recognizing it, which is culminated at the end of that chapter when Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against the Lord? There's this sense of, I know the Lord and he's been with me. Why would I want to forsake that? And then today, in the 40th chapter, we find even another step for Joseph. We now find ourselves looking at a man who will bring the Lord to somebody else. You know, he sees the cupbearer and the baker, and they're distraught, and they're frustrated, and he says, what's wrong, guys? And they say, we have these dreams, and we don't have anyone to interpret them. And he says, well, look, only God can interpret dreams. Tell me. I mean, there's, there is a, just a gleeful sense that God is with Joseph and that Joseph knows it. And the way he freely offers the Lord out and the way he speaks 
so confidently and optimistically about the Lord gives us a sense that he's with him. It's a sign of a right relationship between Joseph and the Lord. And in this whole scene, and this is uh, where I want to begin to focus, the scene centers around these two dreams that these two men have. I just want to ask you, if you were Joseph, what do you think you'd be reminded of if someone came to you with dreams? I think I'd be like, I had dreams once. Man, how can he not think that way? Is there any way in your mind, as a regular person who received two dreams from the Lord, a little later, he's going to say to Pharaoh, this is, the, this is the significance of the two dreams you had, Pharaoh. The two dreams you have is the way the Lord insists that it absolutely will happen. That's, the, that's what he says to Pharaoh. So if he's had these two dreams a long time ago, and then he's been buried away in, in, in the pit of Egypt, and, and now these two men come to him with these dreams, how, how can he not, how can that not conjure before him? the feelings of the memory. I might even say excitement. I mean, maybe God's on the move. How could he not be excited about Given the substance of his dreams, remember, these didn't just have these dreams. God gave him these dreams. And the substance of these dreams are not... God loves you. The substance of these dreams is not just an enigmatic, God has a plan for you. The substance of the dreams that Joseph received was, your brothers, your father, in fact, will bow before you. It was so obvious. The dream was so obvious that nobody at the dinner table needed to explain it. Nobody needed to interpret it. God gave obvious, clear, emphatic couplet of dreams that insisted, insisted that Joseph's family would one day bow before him. Those are from God. And I think God gave those, him, those dreams to him to shape him, to make him a certain to way to help him to look up. Can you imagine, by the way, being Joseph in Egypt without any dreams? Imagining that life. Can you imagine how purposeless it would feel? I mean, having to talk about reinvent yourself, to imagine being, being taken into captivity and then put down in prison and having nothing, no promise of the Lord at all to attach yourself to. But Joseph has this promise. Joseph knows God is not yet done with me. God is working with me. And in fact, the 14th verse kind of reflects this, this attitude. You can see that Joseph is seizing on this moment. He says to the cupbearer, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh to get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in the dungeon. He seems, he seems to know that maybe this is my chance. This, this is the time. Maybe God's on the move. God's going to do something. which is why the 23rd verse should hurt. 
It should hurt to read. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And that's why the first phrase of the 41st chapter should just kill us. When two full years had passed. It's the first phrase of the chapter. When two full years had passed. It goes on, right? When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And it begins to describe his dreams of cows coming out of the water, of the river, and, and all these sorts of dreams. So we're going to deal with the bulk of that next week. But you have this, this little phrase right up front, when two full years have passed. And it's so quick and it's so short, you almost feel like the Bible wants you to miss it. Like God's kind of sweeping it under the cover. Like if God were here reading it, he would be like, when two <laughs> years have passed. Pharaoh had a dream. That's how you almost feel when you're reading it. You're like, what? Because as people, we notice that. And I don't think the Bible's trying to hide it. If he wanted to hide it, he'd say sometime later. Oh, he's done that. You know, then Pharaoh had a dream. So he's not trying to, in fact, it doesn't even say two years later. It says two Four years later, which means the Bible's not only not trying to hide it, but it wants you to know Joseph has been stuck with this hope for how long? Two grueling full years. What we don't like about it, I think, is that the Bible doesn't stop and like expound upon that. We don't have a chapter 40 and a half that explains to us what God's doing in that time because I mean, let's be honest, it's this, this is something that we as Christians today are bothered by. Why is God slow? Imagine, imagine Joseph living his life. Lord's with him, he knows the Lord's with him. But there's been no key to get out of prison. There's been no key to get back to the dream. There's been nothing. And then this cupbearer shows up, the first really prominent person that he's ever met in Egypt. He has influence. The cupbearer, cupbearer is legit. And Joseph now gets to meet him and expounds upon a dream and all of this, and he's going to be liberated. And man, the cupbearer has the ear of Pharaoh. The cupbearer is right there. In fact, he is right there. In the 45th chapter, the cupbearer finally says, Ah, Pharaoh, I made a mistake. I forgot. There's this guy in prison. He he reads dreams. The cupbearer has access. Joseph knows it. Everybody knows it. Imagine Joseph the night after, you know. So he says to the one guy, Three days later, you're going to be taken back into into the service of Pharaoh. And, you know, the cupbearer goes and he's leaving. Don't forget me. It's Joseph, J-O-S. Well, you know, as that, all that's happening. You know, imagine that night. You're Joseph. How well, how would you sleep at night? Oh, man. I'm telling you, my eyes would be wide open. I'm going to see my dad. I'm going to see my dad. He's going to believe me, right? And I turned in, I'm a handsome man. I'd pack my stuff, and I'd unpack it, and I'd repack it, and I'd unpack it. 
you know, my little handkerchief with the stick. You know, I'd wash behind my ears. I'd trade my smokes for a razor to kind of look great, to be presented before Pharaoh. Because it's going to take like a day, you know, like a day. You know, Cupbearer will get there in a day and, hey, Cupbearer, hey, Pharaoh, there's a guy. That's how it's going to happen, you know. And then it doesn't happen a day. And you start to go, well, it's not going to happen a day. It's a day. It's going to take a couple days because Cupbearer has to kind of get in with Pharaoh. And, and a couple days go by and then you start to rationalize. Well, it, there's a bureaucracy. There's probably forms that need to be filled out. I know the Cupbearer remembered me. I mean, for crying out loud, I, I did a dream from the Lord for him. I mean, of course it's going to happen in a week, two weeks. What are you saying a month from now? Season? A year. A year has gone by and nothing. You know, there's this human phase. If you go through excitement and then you go through confusion, and then you have to recalibrate. Maybe, maybe I'm not going to be something else in life, right? Maybe this house is never going to sell. You have to recalibrate, and all that recalibration is frustration, and then you feel alienated from the Lord, and it's kind of this aggression. Lord, I thought I knew what you wanted. I thought you told me. You gave me dreams. This is what's hot, what's hot, what's hot. And you get all that recalibrating that has to come where you have to kind of figure out that you still like the Lord with this new reality that was really not a new reality. It's just the old reality that you had packaged incorrectly. And in all of that, you finally get to that place where you're back with the Lord again. I mean, I imagine Joseph has had to do this. The Lord doesn't give us explanations behind verses like, phrases like, two full years later. He doesn't give us explanations. He doesn't kind of open his, his full counsel to us to see all the reasons why two years was better than no years. Why it was better than three years. We don't get to see his game plan. We don't get to understand um, the fullness of his purpose. This is what we get. And this is, by the way, what you get in the Christian life. You get this two years later. We just don't. It, It would be impossible. It would be impossible for us to be able to unpack the full counsel of the Lord. When when it's tried in the word, read the word. When people try it, the Lord responds with, oh, I have a few questions for you, Job. You answer me this litany of questions, and then you can ask that question, which invariably ends with the believer going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You are awesome and mighty and good, and I do not understand. And the Lord ends with, you're right. You don't understand. I love you. Two years later, And so I can't sit here. I can't sit here from the counsel of the word and from scripture and tell you why God waits two years later. I don't know. We, we aren't privy or allowed to expound upon all of what God has to handle. I mean, a butterfly flaps his wings here. He's got to compensate there. He's a busy, busy God. But we can talk about our own nature. 
we do know a little bit about our own nature. And listen, what I'm not talking about right now is why we experience hardship, okay? I'm not talking about this two years of Joseph's as hardship, okay? So we have a problem. We have a problem in the Christian life with pain. And we have a problem in the Christian life with suffering. We have a problem in the Christian life with persecution. And all of those things are true and we don't like them, but the Bible talks about them and gives us reasons. We know the reason for pain. We know the reason for suffering. And we know the reason for persecution. It's because of sin. It's either your sin or it's someone else's sin being wrought on you or it's the sin of Adam that has saturated the earth. Right? We know that those reasons. So we don't like it when hardship falls on us, but the Bible takes some time to expound upon why that is. But, but time, the slowness of God, there's very little said about that. Second Peter, God is not slow the way some people say he's slow. He's patient and compassionate. That's one of them. Still feels slow to me. This is how it shows up in our life. As we try to think of the slowness of God and the challenge of the slowness of God, of God withholding from us why he's doing things. Young man or a young woman, you're here this morning. You want to get married. Right? This is the frustration. This is what we're talking about. Not hardship, but God's slowness. We're talking about the frustration of when you desire something that's godly. You know it's God's will for your life. You know he wants you to have it and that only he can give it. And yet he doesn't give it to you. That's what I'm talking about. Young man or woman wants to marry a godly person. They want to wait for the right one. They're not budging because they love the Lord until the Lord gives them the right person for them. Exactly. Equally yoked. That's what, that's what, is that godly? Yeah. Can we find verses in the Bible that would affirm that kind of pursuit? Absolutely. Can we say that that dream that someone has inside, while not as prophetic as the one that Joseph had, is a godly dream that that they they can pray towards? Sure. What parent hasn't said to their child at that time, you know, that's good. That's good. Don't you want your children to pray that kind of prayer? Or I just don't want to get on and marry anybody. I want to marry the one you have for me. So this is an example where we pray. We're praying the right prayer in the right way. Lord, only you can bring this person to me. You're praying that you know only the Lord can do it. You're helpless in it. So you have this hope or this dream that you have, have, and it's godly, and it's good, and it's God's will, and only God can bring it, and only he can do it, and he doesn't do it. Or at least for young people, he doesn't do it in the graduation season whenever all your other friends are getting married. So God feels slow to you. Or this, you have a sin, a chronic sin in your life, a sin you can't kick, a habit. It's frustrating, and you've come to hate it. You hate your sin. Is that godly? Absolutely. And you've been battling with your sin long enough that you know that you can't kick it on your own. So now you're in a good disposition before the Lord. You're like, Lord, I despise this sin in my life. 
Only you can deliver me from this sin. Your word and counsel promises that you are a deliverer and a redeemer and that your Holy Spirit's greater than all this sin and that you'll do it. I'm ready. And now. Or now. He doesn't. Because he's slow. Or you have a strong sense of calling and purpose. Maybe you know what you're going to be when you grow up. Maybe you know God's called me into the mission field. Or maybe you don't know specifically, but you have in your heart a deep yearning to be purposeful for God's kingdom. Is that godly? Absolutely. Lord, I don't want to be just something. I want to be the thing you want me to be. I'll do whatever you want me to do. There's no place I won't go, no thing I won't do. I'm sold out for you, Lord. Is that godly? Absolutely. Do you have to wait for the Lord's word? Absolutely. Would God desire that you would pray that? Absolutely. Does his word say to call on him and to wait on him and to seek him and his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto it? Absolutely. And how often have people done that and waited for two full years? Is he slow? Some of you may wonder, why did I have to, God, wait till I was 50 or 60 before I met him? Some of you old converts, you ever say to the Lord, Lord, it would have helped if I'd known Jesus when I was raising kids? Would have been a lot of help. Why does the word spread so slowly, even though we labor for it? That, that is a tough one. You think of missionaries in distant lands who are expending their lives to spread the gospel And you know what happens to them after two full years? No one says anything and the government revokes their visa and sends them home. And you feel like going, God, what about, what is not righteous about this? They're serving your word. Only you, only you control the nations. And that happens. Why did God take so long to send Christ? And why is Christ so long in coming back? His slowness is a mystery, and, and again, I, we can't talk in the mind of God, but we can talk briefly about the mind of man. And so I want to spend just the remaining time talking about what, why God might hold up on our account, because it's on our, on our account is all we can really shape here. And let me just say it this way. Oftentimes, oftentimes, though we may have the right desire, though we may have the right dream for the Lord, we are not as ready for God or for his good as we think we are. We're not as ready as we think we are. So you, young person, you want to marry the perfect spouse. Well, right now, the perfect spouse would not marry you. You're not marketable. God's like, I wouldn't introduce you to her to save my life. You'd ruin my street cred. You know, God's got to work on you and work on you and work on you or you, you, you yourself would spoil the blessing. Did you hear that? You want to know why God is slow? Maybe because if he introduced it to you right now, you'd ruin it. Do you have ears to hear that? Joseph, how did he start this story? As a punk. Whiner baby tattletale. Daddy's boy. Brainy Smurf. 
Would that be the right time for the Lord to raise Joseph up and place him at the seat of Pharaoh? I mean, if God just, if he clicked his heels and he ends up on the throne of Pharaoh and ha ha, that would have been cataclysmic. Joseph was not ready for the dream to come true. He needed a journey to the pit of Egypt. Maybe you're not ready. In the account of, there's one great account in the Bible of God showing us, this is what happens when I give it to you when you're not ready, so don't forget about it. And it is the Hebrew people being brought to the promised land. God just lays out this beautiful illustration for us. He says, I have this land, milk and honey. It's a promised land. It's a good land. It's a spacious land. It's a land for you. I've sworn by your, to your forefathers. It's to your patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On account of them, I'm doing this. I'm bringing you to this good and spacious and wonderful land. And he brings them there. And he says, now all you need to go in and, and break up the kings and, and knock down the walls. And then you can have it. And they say, what? You have got to be kidding me if I'm going to go in that land. How are we not like that? That is autobiographical of us. See, this has been a story about God being with Joseph, but not until now is it a story of Joseph being with God. When God took the Hebrews out, God was with the Hebrews, but the Hebrews were not with God. And God said, 40 years. And in 40 years in the desert, it says he gave, made them eat by manna and made them pray for water so that they might know the Lord, is what it says. It says, so the Lord might know what was in their hearts, is what it says in Deuteronomy 8. I did that so that I would know you and so that you would know me. And when they showed up 40 years later and he said, go in, they said, which direction? We will do precisely what you tell us to do. Maybe you're not ready. Okay, here's a second one. It's a related idea. It's a little bit deeper. Why does the Lord feel slow in your life as far as your own capacity to embrace this as the things that have to deal with our nature? Oftentimes, we desire God's will, but we desire it in order to satisfy our human nature. Okay, so this is a step deeper. You desire the right answer, but you want it to feed your flesh. I want a godly spouse. Good, good desire? Absolutely. Would, is that worth praying for? Absolutely. Does everybody want that? Absolutely. Why do you want it? I want a godly spouse because then my marriage will be good. Because she will love me the way I need to be loved. You don't say that. I know you don't say that, but it translates that way. I want to know God's will for my life so that I know God's will for my life. That's, those are selfish. Why would the Lord rush in to answer that question for you? Just to feed the human part of your nature? Sometimes he's going to wait until you desire a godly spouse because you love that person so much that you would do anything and everything for them to the glory of God. That is when God moves, right? God waits until 
not only do you desire the thing he desires, but you desire the thing he desires in the way he desires it. We ought to desire God's purpose in our lives so that his kingdom might be made glorious and manifest on this earth and so that Jesus Christ's name might be proclaimed and and that he might be greatly pleased and satisfied as he looks down upon our life and our every step and walk and hope and dream and be like, every time that person talks, I look good. That's how you ought to be. We want good things, but for selfish reasons. While it isn't bad, it's less than God intends. You know, I think the best example in the scriptures for this is the reign of King David. God made plenty of men king overnight. And they became bad kings. Because they used the throne for their own glory. God didn't do that with David. God made David king over a decade of war and refugee and fleeing and ministry and work. I mean, there were times David was in the depths of the deep and there were times that he, was, he felt like, I'm in the grave, I'm fading away. There were times he would say, how long, O oh Lord? But when he took the throne, he was a man after God's own heart and he understood that this throne belongs to my father, not to me. The issue before us, and I'll, I'll close with this. The issue before us is not, is the Lord with us? The Lord is with you. If you don't believe it, you're living a lie. God is with us. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you with God? Joseph's that way. In the, in, in the 41st chapter, he comes out. They shave him. They clean him. Pharaoh says, They say, you know dreams. He says, I don't. I know God who knows dreams. What do you have? I know the Lord's with us, but are you with the Lord? Amen. Let's pray.